Let's get back to 2 Samuel. Uh, Our world is very confused on what it means to love someone. I recently heard a a story that I thought was a really good example of real, of true biblical love. I heard it on uh, the podcast of one of our supported missionaries, uh, Brady Cohn. Uh, We support Brady and his wife, Mary. They have Calibrate Ministries. Um, His podcast is called The Great Exchange. And recently, uh, Brady interviewed a man named Brent. And the short version of Brent's story is this. Brent was working as an associate pastor at a church. And at the same time, he was struggling with identity issues, sexuality issues. And he began reading a lot of stuff about what's called gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria, as I understand it, is the anxiety, the depression, and just the bad feelings in general that one gets when one is convinced that the, their biological sex is not matched by the gender they are internally in their minds. And that's what Brent was struggling with. He began to read all of this stuff, and he became convinced that he would be happier if he could get those two things to match. And so even though he was married to a woman with children, was the pastor of a church, he decided he in fact was a woman. He moved uh, to Rochester, Minnesota to be near the Mayo Clinic. He began taking all kinds of medications because and in preparation for surgeries that would turn him physically, he thought, into a woman and he would be much happier and he wouldn't have all of these anxieties and all of this depression, all these bad feelings if he could just get his outside and his inside to match in that way. To hear him tell the story, unsurprisingly, none of that stuff worked to make him feel better. Every milestone he went through on this journey to turn himself into a woman physically just caused way more problems than it ever solved. Um, And and really, that's what the two episodes with Brady are really about. But there's this one little almost side note in this podcast that struck me. And it comes from, from Brent's wife, who in spite of the months and I think years where he was taking all of these drugs, where he was preparing for the surgery that would cut his organs away, even though he changed his name to a more feminine name, his wife refused to divorce him. They lived together. Now, they didn't live together as husband and wife during that time. And she was very clear that she disapproved of what the decisions he was making. But she simply said this. She said, uh, even though he is not loving me, even though he is not loving our children correctly, none of that means I have to stop loving him. I thought that was a beautiful example 
of what biblical love is. Real love, real love is not how someone else makes me feel. Real love is my desire and my willingness to work, to see what God would say is best happening in someone else's life. If I'm going to love myself, if I'm going to, as I hear so often, take care of myself, if I'm going to love me, that means I'm going to care enough and work to see what God says is best happening in my own life. This morning, we're going to read another rather long and terribly tragic story in David's family. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, 13. this time it's David's children who take center stage. David will play a bit role in this episode. And the tragedy begins because David's oldest son does not know what love is. And real love is not what controls his motivations and his actions. Let's read this together. 2 Samuel chapter 13. The story reads this way. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved Tamar. Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He said to Amnon, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Tell me. And Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down. He pretended to be ill. When King David came to see him, Amnon said to his dad, please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar saying, go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down. She took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes and she took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. And so everyone left. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. Verse 12. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, Amnon would not listen to her. 
And since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated Tamar with a very great hatred. And the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go away. But she said to him, no, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other one you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young man who attended him and said, now throw this woman out of my presence. I'll tell you in Hebrew, the word woman's not even in there. It just says, now throw this out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long sleeve garment, for that's the manner that the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. And then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long sleeve garment, which was on her. She put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. And so Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal-hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Verse 24, Absalom came to the king and said to David, Behold now, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with me. But David said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, for we will be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but he gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If you won't go, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, David let Amnon and all the king's sons go with Absalom. Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear. Have I, not, have I myself not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. The servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. So they murdered him. And then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled now it was while they were on the road that the report came to David saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Then David arose and tore his clothes and lay on the ground and all his servants were standing by with their clothes torn. They were mourning. Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, responded, Do not let my lord suppose they have put to death all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. Because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day Amnon violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, do not let my lord the king take the report to heart, namely that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Verse 34. Now Absalom had fled, and the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him on the side of the mountain. Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come according to my word. That's how it happened, just like I said. And as soon as he had finished speaking, all the king's sons came and lifted their voices and wept. And also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. 
Now Absalom had fled and, and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. That's Absalom's maternal grandfather, by the way. Um, and David mourned for his son every day. So, or in that manner, Absalom had fled and gone to Geshur and was there three years. And the heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon since he was dead. There's our passage. We'll go through it relatively quickly and then see what we can learn. To make sense of this story, we have to know that David had lots of wives. That was wrong, but he had them. Um, We meet two sons and one daughter of David in this passage. David's oldest son, and we could go elsewhere in this book to see the birth order here, but David's oldest son is a guy named Amnon. So by the world's standards, Amnon is the crown prince. In the contest to see who's going to be king after David, Amnon is the leader in the clubhouse, okay? A different wife of David has his, we'll call him David's second oldest son, second oldest in line to be king, story for a different time, but that second oldest son is named Absalom. And Absalom has a full sister named Tamar, who by all accounts is very beautiful. So Absalom and Tamar are full siblings. They have a half-brother named uh, Amnon, who's the crown prince in the land. We're told in verse 1 that Amnon, the crown prince, is in love with, he loves his half-sister, Tamar. Verse 2 tells us just how badly he's been bitten by the love bug. He's got it bad. He has, he's ill. He's sick because he can't have this beautiful young woman who happens to be his half-sister, Tamar. What he has done is, well, he's done something that many of us have done. If we're honest, he has taken a person of the opposite sex, someone he is attracted to, and he has told himself this lie. There's no way I could be happy unless I have that person. It's, it's idolatry is what it is. Because he's convinced himself, I cannot have joy, I cannot have hope, I cannot have peace unless I have this other person. Anytime we decide we cannot have peace, hope, joy without this other person, without another person, we will crush that person with those expectations because there is no other person who can deliver you peace, hope, and joy save for Jesus Christ. We're told he loves Tamar, but does he really? Is this love that he's feeling, to quote an 80s rock band? Well, let's read the end of this. It said, it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. That is, we will see, the sum, the total of his feelings for Tamar. He wa- There's something he wants to do 
to her. If the total of your feelings towards someone is thinking about what you can do to that person, that ain't love. In fact, it ain't close. That is lust, my friends. And so I will say that he is lust sick, not love sick. In the next verse, we, we learn that he's sick to death. He, and he has this friend who actually is his first cousin, Jonadab. Jonadab, we're told, is a shrewd man. But the, the word, the Hebrew word for shrewd does not have to be that negative. Your Bible might say crafty. And he probably is that. But this is a word that describes Joseph in the book of Genesis, like coat of many colors guy, sold into slavery guy, one of the best dudes in the Bible. That dude, Joseph, is described with this word. It just means he's, this, this uh, Jonadab is, he's astute. He's wise. He's a guy that can look at a situation and see all the important details very quickly. He can come up with plans quickly. And he does here. He can tell there's something wrong with his cousin. He says, what's wrong with you? Tell me, his cousin tells him, I'm in love with Tamar. I can't figure out how to get what I want. Jonas Dab says, well, I got to apply and make a plan for that. And he does. And it works. Here's the plan. And Amnon does it. He pretends to be sick. Knowing that David, his dad, will, will come in and and say, oh man, I heard you're sick. Is there anything I can get you? Well, now that you mention it. I think I'd feel better if Tamar, my sister, would come and you know, take care of me. So he uses his dad. Um, Tamar does come. He, uh, he asks everyone else to leave. And he lures her in to be close enough so he can grab her. When he grabs her, he asks her to come into his bed willingly. She refuses. When she refuses, you know, Tamar, by the way, Tamar, it's, it's admirable. She goes along to help her brother. She has nothing wrong. When she is grabbed, she is astute. She is quick. She tries to get Amnon to realize what he's about to do is bad for him. She calls him intentionally, my brother. Uh, rape is not the only thing uh, um, disallowed by the law in this passage. Incest is also. So she, you're my brother. Um, she says, uh, this kind of thing isn't done in Israel. If this is going to make you different in a bad way. It's going to disgrace you. Very quickly, she does say, I won't be able to get rid of my reproach either. Again, if you love me, you won't do this. But then she quickly puts the focus back on him. You will be like one of the fools in Israel. That doesn't mean dummy. Nabal is the Hebrew word. It means, it's, it's a word to describe someone who's godlessly wicked. This is how you are going to be labeled. It's not going to be worth it. But he doesn't listen. He's stronger than she is. 
He overpowers her. And the rest of the passage is about the immediate results of this sin and then the long-term effects of this sin. In the immediate results, have we ever talked about how sin always overpromises and underdelivers? Have we talked about that? Well, turns out it's still true. Because Amnon, even though his life was just not going to be complete without this, as soon as the deed is done, his feelings for Tamar are done because he didn't have feelings for Tamar. He had feelings for something he wanted to do to Tamar. And when that is done, at least temporarily, those feelings are gone and suddenly he hates her worse than he loved her. Because now when he looks at Tamar, what he sees is the, he sees like evidence. He sees with disgust what he has done. He sees how big of trouble he is probably in. And then what, and he tries to undo this. In fact, uh, a guy named Ralph Davis outlines this really well in his commentary. In verses 15 through 19, he does the exact opposite of everything he did in the previous 14 verses. Earlier, he said he loved Tamar. Now he hates Tamar. He, he had been trying to lure her in. Now he's trying to get her away. Before, she was begging him not to violate her. He did. Now she's begging him not to get rid of her. He does. He, uh, you know, in this culture, she is going to be ruined, uh, shamefully for this culture, but she is uh, damaged goods, which is wrong, but it was the way it was. Before, he asked all of his servants to leave so that he could be alone with her. Now he asks his servant to come back in to help him get rid of her. And she is forced to leave in, in shame, in guilt, in isolation. And Tamar is just really uh, a sad character in this book. She just, I guess, just stays in her brother Absalom's house. And that's all we know. Those are the immediate impacts of this attack. The, long, the ripple effects will continue for years. In verse 20, we read that Absalom, so Tamar's full brother, he learns about this attack. You know, she leaves, she's screaming, she is obviously and understandably very upset. And Absalom does take his sister into his household, but he's not a sympathetic, this is not a sympathetic gesture. Absalom takes her in and looks what he, look at what he tells her. Hey, be quiet. He says, don't, don't take this matter to heart. Wait, what? As we follow Absalom for a few chapters here, Absalom's an ambitious guy. He's got some plans. More on this later, but Absalom wants to be king. And 
One, he thinks one big thing in his way is Amnon. So he now has an opportunity to use something against Amnon. But he can't have his sister making a huge deal out of this because it'll mess up his plans. So he takes his sister into his house to keep her quiet. And then he pretends everything is fine for two years. Their dad, King David, when he hears about this, he is angry. But apparently he's not angry enough to actually do anything about this. David, David ignores this. I mean, his son uh, deceived him and used him in order to rape his sister, David's daughter. How do you not do anything? Well, here's how. David goes back to one of his old problems. David's problem, David's tendency is to think the tragedy will start when other people learn what has happened. And so for David, the damage control is, as long as no one else knows, let's just keep this quiet. Um... I think Absalom knows that about his dad. I think that's why Absalom wants to keep his sister so quiet, but I can't be sure on that one. After two years, well, I will tell you that David's refusal to do anything leads to long-term consequences that we'll read about next week and next week and next week. Um, Because David's inactivity is like fertilizer for these bad things that are going to happen in the future. Gives Absalom space to operate. His rage and his hatred to grow. Not just for Amnon. But I think for David also. So Absalom is quiet. Is, is cunning. He, he plans for a couple of years. And then he goes to see his dad around sheep shearing time. In a, in a culture. Absalom's got lots of flocks. In a culture that have uh, that the boss lives in town and his flocks are out in the uh, you know in the in the grazing lands, sheep shearing time was a time of feasting because it's the only time all those shepherds were all together at the same time, so they always had a big party, a big feast like a holiday. Absalom goes to his dad and says, "Hey, will you come be the guest of honor?" down where we do sheep shearing this year. We'd sure love to have you and all your household. He knows his dad can't leave the capital for that. He knows his dad's going to say no. His dad says no. And then he says, well, dad, if you can't come, will you at least send the crown prince Amnon in your place to take the seat of honor down there? And David thinks it's weird. Like, why would you want him to go? But I, okay, I guess. He sends him down there and the whole thing is just a ruse so Absalom can get Amnon in, isolated away from any of David's uh, protection so that Absalom can have Amnon murdered, and that's what happens. In the aftermath of that murder, David's sons hop on their mules and take off. The, the mule was the, uh, the choice uh, mount of kings in those days. When the, when the grapevine, when the word reaches back to the palace, uh, as often happens with the grapevine, the details are blurred. David hears that all 
of his sons have been killed. And so he's very upset. And then we meet our guy Jonadab again. Same guy that came up with the plan for Amnon in verse 3. He's astute. He sees the details. And he says, no, 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 king. This has been coming a long time. Uh, The only one that's dead is Amnon because Absalom has wanted to kill him for two years. This is an all-time now-you-tell-me moment. And that is true. There's only one son dead. And then we read some stuff that seems really confusing to us. Do you get the idea that David is more sad that Absalom is in exile than he is sad that his son Amnon is dead? Do you get that feeling? You should, because it's true. David hated what Amnon had done. David knows justice has been served to his incestuously rapist son. But his whole family has fallen apart. And so he's, he's sickened by this. He knows, and, and we'll see Absalom. Absalom is a talented, gifted charismatic man that had a lot going for him and he is he's ruined he's going to live in exile David knows what it feels like to live in exile it's hard it's scary he doesn't want that for him he hates where his family's at and that's sort of how the curtain closes on this episode what do we learn from from this passage I think every character in this story has something to say to us. And whatever shape you're in and what's ever been going on in your life as you walk in here and sit down this morning, I think there is someone in this story that can speak to you this morning. So we'll go through characters one at a time and say what I think we can learn from them. First, Tamar. From Tamar, we're reminded or we learn this, that since ever since God gave mankind freedom to sin, that freedom has often hurt other people in catastrophic ways. And here's what I mean by that. Clear back in the garden, God told mankind when mankind was innocent... If you sin, I'll kill you. That's what he said, right? You eat from that tree over there, I'll kill you. Spoiler alert, they ate from the tree over there that they weren't supposed to eat from. So what is, what was, what's God to do? God had promised that sin costs, what? Death. Sin costs death. What kind of sin costs death? All of them. The first sin that deserved death was not rape, it wasn't child abuse, it wasn't anything. It was eating fruit that God said don't eat. All sin deserves death. So God had this choice to make. Am I going to squash people like a bug the moment they sin? Or am I going to be gracious and merciful? Am I going to allow, am I going to forbear sin, put up with sin, And give people the freedom to live, at least temporarily, in spite of their sin. God graciously chose that option. I'm so thankful. You know why? 
I would have died as like an 18-month-old. However, as soon as I could look at my parents and say, no, I deserve death from that moment. And so I'm glad that God graciously allows us to sin without ripping us out of the world. But, but that leaves us in this state under the curse where people abuse that freedom God gives them in horrific ways that really, really hurts other people. If you can read this story and not feel awful for Tamar, like, you got some issues. Because she is destroyed because someone abused the freedom to sin without immediate death that God gives all of us. And that, boy, that's just, that's one of the hard things about living in this world, isn't it? But you know what's cool about God besides he decides not to kill all of us? God didn't let us go through that alone. When God sent Jesus Christ to earth, he sent him to sort of be like Tamar. Jesus deserved nothing bad to ever happen to him because he's the only one who never sinned a single sin. And he allowed himself to be abused to be the victim of other people's individual free choices to do terrible, despicable things to someone who didn't deserve it. And if nothing else, when you are the one who gets hurt in a way that you did not deserve, in Jesus Christ, the God of the universe can honestly say to you, I understand. I know how that feels. I've actually been there. And I will walk with you through that. That's what we learned from Tamar. From Amnon, her attacker, we learn yet again that sin over promises and under delivers. Listen, sin is not your friend. Sin is not your pet. Sin is not an aid. Sin is not something you can use to make your life better. Here's what God said to Adam and Eve's son. Clear back in Genesis 4. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Do you see the metaphor right there? Sin is like this tiger, this lion, this monster that is crouching and ready to have you. Its desire is to have you. You don't have sin as much as sin has you. We can't control it. We think we have pet sins we can control. We do not. The only way we can master sin is by fleeing from it, avoiding it altogether. And we definitely see that from Amnon. We learn something from Jonadab, the boy's first cousin, David's nephew. We learn this, talent without integrity is dangerous. Jonadab is this astute, wise, intelligent 
gifted young man. He could have been such uh, an asset to the royal family, but he wasn't. But it wasn't because he wasn't talented and gifted. It was because his talent was not coupled with godliness, with integrity. Giftedness, talent, skill, divorced from a desire to walk with the Lord and see his best happening in my life and those of someone else. That kind of talent's actually dangerous. How many, good example, how many churches have been damaged because they've hired somebody that seems talented, that seems charismatic, that seems whatever, but it turns out that's divorced from a softness of heart toward what God really thinks is best. This is why it's so important when you're picking someone to, to go into business with, when you're picking someone to date, when you're picking someone to marry, when you're picking someone to be, what Paul says, yoked together with in a way where the, di- the direction they travel is going to take me with them. How talented, how beautiful, how gifted they are is not the most important qualification. Is their heart soft toward the Lord? Do they want, not are they perfect, but do they have a desire to follow the Lord? Because talent and giftedness, divorced from that, will lead you effectively, will lead you uh, like passionately and surely in bad directions. We learn that from Jonadab. From David, we learn a couple of things. First, passivity in the face of sin can often be more dangerous than confrontation. Again, David's weakness is, if no one finds out, that's damage control. David's passivity was not damage control. You know what it was? Damage. It just led to worse stuff down the road. It let his son uh, Absalom grow in hatred for not just Amnon, but also David. Confronting sin can be difficult, uncomfortable, and painful. But not confronting sin can actually be worse. Enabling, supporting, uh, signing off on, however you want to say it. It's not damage control. It's just damage. Second from David, we, we just see a real picture in this passage of how we can't control the future consequences of our present sin. Here's always we see this in David. We also see, this could be a third one, just how sin just complicates our future life in ways we cannot predict. We just read the story of a a young royal man who saw a beautiful woman that he had no business taking. He took her, and the result of that sin was the death of a son of the king. Does that sound at all familiar? We do reap what we sow. David sinned with Bathsheba. The result of that was the death of one of David's sons. 
Here's how else this co- our sin complicates our future in ways we can't predict. One thing that made it hard for David to go and confront uh, Amnon about his sin, think about this conversation. Son, you had no right to take that young, beautiful woman that uh, you had no right to take. Oh, really, Dad? Who are you to tell me? Right? Now, I want to speak to that for just a second because parents, have you ever thought this? We can't tell our kids to not blank, blank, or blank because we did it when they, we were their age. Listen, yes, you can. And please do. Where would I get a story that illustrates the dangers? Right here. You know what David should have done? Son, you, I've got to confront this, and I know I've made the same mistake, but my uh, moral behavior, my track record is not the standard here. It is, it, it's just more damage. Do you want your children to not repeat all the mistakes you made? We learn that from David. From Absalom, we learn in narrative form what Jesus' brother James wrote in, in his letter. The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. Was it okay that Absalom was angry at what Amnon did to his sister Tamar? Absolutely. We have anger. Anger is like a sin barometer in our hearts. We don't have anger because we're sinners. We have anger because we're made in the image of God. And God is often angry. It's called the Old Testament. (laughs) Not really, but anger is legitimate. But when, when we decide to use our anger as the fuel for what we do next, when we decide that if I keep myself good and angry before I go have that conversation, we're crossing a line we should never cross. Because the anger of man never brings about the righteousness of God. God gave us a promise. Vengeance is mine. Vengeance belongs to me, God said. I might repay. Is that what he said? He said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And God help me, I've done this, I've made this mistake plenty. But every time I try to use my anger to make myself feel better, to punish someone a little bit worse as the fuel for what I'm about to do in this conversation to this person, I am saying to God, I don't trust you to repay good enough. It's what I'm saying. I'm doing his job. Believing I can do it better. When you say it like that, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And it is. (laughs) It's just really easy to do. That's our characters. That's our lessons. So I don't know what you walk in here with, but if if you've been a victim, if you've been hurt in ways you didn't deserve, 
Tamar reminds us this, this, we live in a cursed world, but we have a God who will walk through that with us. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It's actually in a weird way part of this gracious system he has laid out to let us all survive. From Amnon, we're reminded sin is not our pet. It wants to own us. Don't let it. From Jonadab, we're reminded that talent without integrity and godliness is actually dangerous. It's not a blessing. From David, we learn the importance of confronting sin and how our current sin, we just don't know how it's going to complicate our lives down the road. It's one reason why it's just very much best to avoid it, to flee from it. And then from Absalom, we're reminded the anger of man never brings about the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, I trust that like you did to me, you have spoken to many here uh, in different ways that they feel like one or two or a few or maybe all of those characters. Um, God, thank you that your, your sacrifice of Christ is stronger than any of our sin. But while we are here, um, help shore us up against that crouching enemy that seeks to have us. It is so dangerous and destructive in ways we cannot even predict. Help us to help one another to flee, to not be mastered by sin. And God, where we are sinners and where we are victims of sin, pray you'd lead us to, into confession, to forgiveness, and to just to cling to the one who understands everything except committing sin. We love you, Lord, and we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, and let's finish our time this morning.